This episode of the Broadband Bunch is sponsored by ETI Software and Vetro FiberMap. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. My name is Pete Pizzatello and I am joined today by Michaela Goodwin. She is the CFO at Vetro FiberMap. Michaela, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I wanted to... Um, Dig in. You were one of the lucky uh, participants in the Women in Fiber luncheon today. I know it was a uh, standing room only or sold out crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and just get your reactions to it. Is this the first time you've been to the lunch? It was the first time I have been. Yeah. So I was very uh, surprised at the number of women and that we filled up the entire ballroom. It's a lot. Yeah. So there's a lot of people there. And what, you know, for us men, what's going on back there? Oh, lots of, you know, dirty little secrets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Planning and plotting. Yeah. No, it was great. Um, it was really kind of a celebration of, you know, the growing numbers of women in the in the field, I think, and also the women coming together and using each other to, to network and acknowledging each other that we all exist um, in all of our different roles. So we have people, you know, manufacturing roles um, to marketing roles to, you know, kind of people who cover the events, um, journalists and people who run marketing organizations, conferences, and so it was across the board. Um, and they had a, we had a speaker come in and um, she really just focused on diversity and inclusion and what can we all do about that in our own organizations because basically the change starts with us. Well, that's a good point. So personally, I mean, you've had a, a journey for a couple years now. I mean, so what's just kind of for the listener, what's your, been your background as a, as a woman coming through the technology space? Yeah. Yeah. So I've started off in accounting and finance, which in, and kind of in the investing world through private equity, which is very male dominated. Right. And then, um, moved on to working with technology companies, which, you know, again, in, from a management perspective is heavy, uh, male, um, dominated and also just technology in general. You know, software engineers are um, are often male, so I'm you know used to working in in those environments and being the only female in the room. I don't even notice it anymore. Right, right. So, what was the big takeaway? You know, what's the next obstacle that they can tackle or or, or focus on? Is there anything that stands out from the discussions? Yeah, you know, um, it's funny. This the speaker talked about is diversity and inclusion a problem or is it a solution? Hmm. And she then dove into um, how diverse and inclusive businesses actually profit at a higher rate than others that don't have diversity and inclusion as a as a principle. And so she was, I think, making the point that it's this is not just about the feel good of being inclusive. It's actually a good business practice. And so, how do you align with your investors and? And others to get behind that and see that, you know, this is an initiative that benefits everybody. And so the hard part is, how do you kind of bring that back and action it? Right. And so, you know, we were talking about that at the table. You know, how do we, in all of our different worlds, because we all, you know, work in different aspects of fiber, how do you start to make those kind of changes? And so even when you're starting to think about, you know, hiring practices or how do you bring those principles into how you show up to work every day. It's still, it's still hard. Right. Um, but I definitely left feeling like she charged us with, you know, it starts with you. Mm. 
you know, it starts with each of us. Right. So bring this back and think about changes that you can make uh, in in your environment, whether you're a small company or, you know, a global large company, and just start small. Start with yourself and try to and make some change that way. Yeah, but it's got to be hard. I mean, you, so you work for a relatively small company, right? I and mean, there's some companies that have just full-time staff focused on this and resources that others don't. Most of our listeners don't have that in they have constraint resource pool and geographic limitations, you know. So what what do you think are some things that you would suggest that start kind of training your brain differently to be thinking about? Yeah, um, because it is retraining your brain. Yeah. Um, so even for me, you know, I, I am out looking when we're hiring and I have a mind toward, you know, how do we diversify our workforce? And I'm having a problem finding candidates. Mm. It's already a tight labor market, like you said. And so how do I find candidates who bring that diversity in when it's already a tight labor market and they're not surfacing? So, you know, I think it does come down to workforce development. And so, you know, at Vetro, we actually have that as an initiative where we are looking at different non-traditional ways of bringing people into the workforce that we wouldn't normally find. Right. So whether we have, you know, either little internships or um, sponsoring somebody who didn't come through their traditional, you know, schooling. Educational channels, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and giving them a shot and uh, educating them through the workforce and, you know, just trying to find different resourceful, non-traditional ways of expanding the scope of the population. Yeah, I think the whole industry, it's interesting because I, I don't know enough about the other industries that and if they're having the same uh, challenge that we have. And one of the criticisms that I've had about um, telecom is, We're just doing a poor job um, educating young people about the opportunity at hand, right? Regardless of race or sex, right? And and so I think that's leading to this constrained resource. I mean, there's higher demand, but also just the labor pool isn't, you know, there's a lot of people going driving Amazon trucks, you know, because they're making 17 bucks an hour and they're working on their own, that type of thing. So, you know, we could be better advocates as uh, broadband professionals in the industry to say, here's the opportunity at hand. It's a career path. It's not just a job. That's right. You know? And I think those are things I know uh, the Fiber Broadband Association has launched workforce development initiatives. I know uh, different institutions have done the same, you know, trying to soak in there. And it, But I mean, we're, we're probably years away before any of that bears fruit. That's right. No, it's, it's so true. And I think it's a great place to start, right? That we have the mentoring programs and there's a lot of different ways you can get involved through the um, women fiber and just kind of the FBA in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, it's just going to take a long time for that to, you know, actually hit the workforce. So, you know, we need to get more people, more women, for example, if we're going to talk about um, women, we need to get them in the doors, so that they can become more skilled right? and then kind of grow through the ranks and be in a position where they can hire others. But I mean, we need to be able to get them in the doors. right? I mean, there are a lot of training programs for people. And I think what's happening right now with all the funding coming into the market and this kind of revolution that we're experiencing, it is going to change the job landscape, right? right? There are going to be new careers that are available and we need to be training people for. And so I just heard it at a this, um, state broadband session earlier. They're like, we need that now though. I know. Yeah. We, need it, we need the people now. We can't, we can't wait. So it is actually creating an opportunity for companies who are jumping on that bandwagon saying, we'll do the training. Yep. We've got a super focused curriculum, just tap us and we're in. 
It's so frustrating because, you know, on a broader macro level, the, all this money that's flooding in and, you know, the bead funding just came in and there's $100 million plus going to every state. And that's great that the federal government recognized that that need, but the infrastructure wasn't, isn't in place for us to actually realize that, right? Many of the states didn't even have broadband offices or still don't. So now you just give them a bunch of money and there's a bunch of under-informed, uh, well-intended people that not really sure how to use that money. And then you have the supply chain issues that weren't ready for it. You know, you have the resource issues, you know, and these are the fears that we talk about on, on the broadband bunch is looking back 10 years, did we squander this opportunity? And it may have just been well-intended, but misaligned, if you will, or missequenced, you know, not that anybody can really look through all that stuff, but the federal government and the state governments, I think need to recognize, because I know in some of the B funding, there is um, digital literacy, Yes. Right. I mean, mandated and funded to do that. But there should also be digital workforce development pieces to that. And I'm not sure if that's in there or not. But I think the private companies are well intended. But like you said, you're you're kind of picking through scraps and trying to do this independently when there needs to be kind of more of a top down, I think, effort. Yes. And I heard that a bunch today. You know, they're trying to figure out again, the state offices are saying, how can we be resourceful here? Right. We can't just build it. Right. We have to have people using it. So in order to have adoption, we actually need education. Mm -hmm. We need trust. And how do we get there? Through community organizations who already have those relationships. And right. so how do we, you know, it's a one to many, right? That's right. the quickest way to get there. And so, but but still, there's a gap there. Even how do we even identify those community organizations that have those relationships? Right. And somebody joked, like, we're doing Google searches. <laughs> right. But there's this, yeah, there's just gaps all the way down the line. And it's hard to believe where, I mean, you can't end up with no missteps. Right. There's just, there's no way. It's impossible. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I think they're in a tough spot, you know, and, and it's also because each state is different, you know, the challenges they have in their state. Right. So it's not like you can come up with one playbook and they can all share it with each other and right. replicate it because they each have their own challenges they're working through. So it's it's a lot for them to take on. And then they have, you know, the state broadband offices themselves are new mm -hmm. for, for a lot of states. And now they've got digital equity and inclusion folks, different positions that are now funded through some of the public money. And they're trying to figure out how to work together and how do they partner and, and reach as many people as they can. And then you've got all the ISPs in the mix too, trying to figure, right. figure this out with data that just keeps changing and it's just a it's a big um it's a big puzzle yeah it's gonna be interesting so i'm gonna ask you two questions one if you can go back to michaela 20 years ago and give yourself some advice what would that be and then looking ahead and uh in 24 months what do you see us evolving towards so what would you give uh michaela young michaela younger michaela i should say <laughs> what input <laughs> advice would you give her uh, and as a mother, maybe it's the same thing you're going to tell your daughter, right? Yeah, you know, and it's probably the same thing that my parents told me, and I didn't listen. So, <laughs> so, <why not? laughs> so yes, I already see that in my future with my with my children. Right. But no, you know, I think um, for me, when I hit my 40s, I just became more confident in my decision making, hmm. and so I wasn't as afraid to ask for what I wanted or what I needed. And so, you know, I think the first time that I did that was I 
had you know just been through a startup that was just a killer, you know, just sucked the life out of me. And I thought, you know what, I just need to take a break. So I'm just going to, I'm going to look for a role that's part-time, but I still wanted to be a CFO. I love my job. And so trying to find that balance of like working with a company where I can still do the role I love, but try to cut it back. So it worked with my personal life. Right. Um, and I, I think in the, if I was in my twenties, I'm not sure I would have asked for that. Mm-hmm. And at some point you just say, screw it. I'm just, you know, I'm going to just, what do I have to lose? Right. Right. And so that becomes empowering, mm. you know, the, the first time that you do that and you take control of, and you say, this is what I need. And you, you're basically saying, if you want to work with me and you're going to value me, then this is what I need. Right. Which is scary. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just, um, I think that that's like a journey that you have to get through. And right. so for me, I wish I had learned that earlier in okay. my life, but I, and it's definitely something I would encourage people to just, you know, bet on yourself, listen to yourself and ask for what you want. Awesome. Is your daughter going to listen to you? No. If, if, <laughs> if, if her at nine years old is any indication, I'm in big trouble. Right. Yeah. My 13 year old, I think already thinks that she, she thinks she can drive already. So she's like, I got it. Totally. So yes, which is, you know, which is wonderful. And it's much of a pain in the behind that, you know, she is to me as a parent. I love how independent she is. And I feel like she's just going to go rocket and not maybe have some of the challenges that I had kind of coming, coming through the ranks and she'll just have that confidence and go ask for what she wants. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, So looking ahead, right? So say two years from now, um, there's a lot of questions about how we close this gap and how this money is used. But just from the issue that we're talking about, do you you think we're making progress? Is Is it real progress? If not, maybe where some gaps might be. Any thoughts on that? Sure. We're making progress. Yeah, I think we are. Um, I think there has to be something more systemic, though. Right to really change the trajectory. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we make incremental progress every year. We make, every 10 years, we make incremental progress. But to really change the slope, something more systemic has to change. Right. You know, whether it's programs that help with childcare, for example, or, you know, as we're all getting older and dealing with aging parents. I mean, there's mm. a lot of that burden falls to women. Yeah. So you're running a household, you might be dealing with aging parents, you're raising children and you're trying to work full time. Right. If and that's if you're lucky. You know, if you're if you're if you're not lucky, you might be a single parent and you don't have a spouse to even share the burden with and you're doing all of those things. So right. something's got to give and I you know, I don't know what the answer is, but until I think we fix some of those more systemic things and and training programs is definitely a start in the right direction. Right. Um, but I think we're just going to have to figure out something bigger like that to get that real step change. So what do you think about the remote working or working from home? I mean, do you feel like that's an enabler? Because that's often a big conversation in terms of just the global workforce productivity. But I do think it does give some flexibility and some opportunities. So you're not so tethered geographically, but also, you know, chronologically, you're not tethered to the workplace. Yes. I mean, I think that if, you know, when we look back 10 years from now to look at one of the positive impacts of COVID, right? this was it, right? It forced us to all figure it out yep. and to be solution oriented about it. And then it afforded us 
the ability to actually see that it works. Right. And it is a win-win for both the employer and the employee. Uh, I think when you're trying to manage a household and a full-time job, having the flexibility of where to work so that you can run out and drop a kid off at school and just hop right back into work. And that is, uh, geez, that's worth gold. It's a game changer. It is. And it's funny because like those business models needed to be challenged by this compelling macro event. You know, even I've been working from home since 2011 and I got a lot of pushback from because of productivity and stuff, but it was really, you know, what's the next thing that's going to make us break the mold or think outside the box and kind of give, you know, try it out, you know, because it was funny that you, you looking prior to COVID, you would just think it would still kind of perpetuate, but now it's a whole new world. It is. And I think it's not, this doesn't just benefit women. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's been huge for, for families and especially for dads Yeah, who used to, if they were the either a sole breadwinner or they worked out in the office and, you know, maybe the, the mom was home, they lost out on a lot of time with their kids. Right, right. And so now it allows a little bit more of sharing, I think, of responsibilities mm-hmm. and, and role. And I had so many conversations with just families in general where right. they've said that the roles have shifted and it's been wonderful for everybody, including the kids. Um, so I think it's going to be hard to go back to forcing everyone to be in the office. Right. But I do have concerns about the younger generation. Because when I think about how I learned in my 20s, mm-hmm. it was being in the office. Oh, you mean professionally? Professionally. Yeah, I see. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I yeah. switched on you. Mm-hmm. Yes, professionally. Right. Right? Because so much of what you learned was just what you heard in the hallway. Right. Getting pulled into a partner's office and hearing them on a call. Right. Right? You learning. And when you're remote, it feels like you have to be so much more intentional mm-hmm. with meetings. Like if you schedule a meeting with somebody, it needs to be because for a purpose. Right, right. Whereas I think so much of the learning that we had professionally was was informal. Right. Unplanned. And you just picked things up. This is how I deal with this certain situation, you know, because I overheard this exchange. Yeah. And you don't get the benefit of that. So I, I do... When I think about kind of growing our company, you know, figuring out how do you support the training and development of your staff is hugely on my mind. And I don't have a good solution for that. Yeah. That might be a generational thing for us, though, because I would love to get a youngster on here and have that conversation because I had a really interesting conversation on the plane with the guy that younger kid, that whole perspective. But I agree, you know, and also as a single father, being able to be more present, you know, and it was inconvenient. But you're dealing now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to yeah, be interesting. And maybe that is a systemic change, right? So now there's patterning that's happening with our children and that, you know, these young families that are coming up that wasn't there before. That's right? right. The dad would go away, have a couple more teens. We all saw Mad Men, right? Totally I mean, right, right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, maybe. you're right. So that maybe that's the first, like, layer of systemic change yeah. that we can build from. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, hopefully next year there'll be 600 people in there, or 600 women, I should say. And I think you should be on stage since you have such insight into it. So I'll put that into the suggestion box. There. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Yep. It's been great. And I'll wrap up another episode of the Broadband Bunch live from Fiber Connect 2023. Thank you for joining us. Uh, you can hear more at broadbandbunch.com. Thanks. Thanks.